Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Welcome to Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Today we're going to talk to former Carlton and South Fremantle star John Dorotich about his time in the game and his ongoing involvement with the game. John, welcome to the show. Good morning, Mark, and thanks for having me on board. Absolutely a pleasure, mate, to talk to you. Obviously, we go uh, we go a fair way back, and uh, now that we're both old codgers, I think you're in your 60s and I'm, I'm nearly getting there next year, so uh, it'll be good to discuss our time in footy together. No, it will be, and I've been advised that I can apply for a seniors card now that I'm in my 60s, as you brought to everyone's attention, so... Uh, <laughs> 61, but, you know, I feel 51. I'm still running around and uh, relatively fit and healthy, mate, at this point of life. Pleased to hear that. Mate, let's go all the way back to the beginning. Tell us about growing up in Perth, southern suburbs. Well, as a lot of people probably know, like I'm from a Croatian background. My father was a Croatian man. His family come from a little island called Vis, which is a beautiful part of the world. And dad, mother and father came to Australia, actually turned up in Sydney, Mark, in 1928, I think it was. The father came over and then the mother in early 1929. And on October the 7th, 1930, my father was born in Broken Hill, New South Wales. So um, he was there and he eventually came over to Western Australia with his family and they'd settled into Hamilton Hill many, many moons ago. So you grew up in Hamilton Hill. Where did you play your junior footy? I played with Coburn, which is uh, just off Rockingham Road for all the people out there that lived down that way. And uh, the oval was called Davalak Oval. So, you know, I started playing footy. I was one of three brothers. So I've got two older brothers, Mark, who's... 66 and uh, Philip unfortunately passed away just prior to his 50th birthday with some cancer problems and then I was the little young one so we had a six foot sixer a six foot fiver and a six foot fourer that come from good bloodlines with the old man being six foot four as well so uh, I loved the junior footy it was, it was something that you just did it was part of what life was about back then you know when you're a young person in the 70s sort of thing playing a bit of sport going to primary school at East Hamilton Hill Primary School, Mark, and, and having a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, you did it because it, it, it kept you occupied and, and sporty. I wasn't somebody, mate, that played cricket, you know, as a youngster. Moving forward, footy was always what I predominantly did, and it was really enjoyable, you know, playing with your mates from school and, and people that grew up in that area of Hamilton Hill. Were you a key forward or a key defender as a youngster, Doro? Oh, mate, I, I think I, I classified myself back then, Mark, as probably a utility player is what the best way to describe myself because I suppose I was tall enough at that stage that you could do a bit of ruck work and then play back and play forward. But, you know, I think as 
we grew grew up down there. I think nowadays they play zones and all that when the kids first start off, playing the back half, the mids and the forward sort of thing. But uh, no, it was good. Like uh, I, I used to get around a little bit. I, I wasn't the best one running around, but I certainly uh, enjoyed the period of time that you were down there at Coburn. And then my junior footy at the end of the day, Mark, probably ceased for four years once I turned 15 and left school and got into the workforce. So when did South Fremantle come calling, Dora? And were you a South Fremantle supporter growing up? Very good question, Mark. So now there's a lot of conjecture about head injuries and things like that, and I've had my fair share over the journey of time with concussion and whatnot. And, you know, to be brutally honest, I'm not 100% certain or convinced how I got to South Fremantle in 1981, which was my first year down there, because what... A lot of people don't realise. Like when I left school as a 15-year-old, I went and started an apprenticeship as a butcher. And I did that for four years. And a lot of the people from the 80s will remember Charlie Carter's at supermarket chain. That yep, absolutely. Out and about all over, you know, certainly the metropolitan area. So I did an apprenticeship. And we were working Saturday and a bit of Sunday. So what that created was a bit of a burden and a problem for me to continue playing, you know, your footy and all that on Saturdays. And and I didn't really play a lot of footy for that period. And then I don't know how it arose, Mark. I just ended up at South Fremantle in, a, in 1981, pre-season training, you know, turning up there and, and seeing wonderful people and playing with, you know, the Stephen Michaels of the world and Noel Carters and Joe Mackay and people like that. Morris Rioli wasn't far away. Basil Campbell was still there. Benny Vagona, so... You know, he's just a young boy from Hammy Hill walking into a, a club that's just come off a successful premiership year. But uh, to play with those type of people as a young 19-year-old as it was back then, Mark, were pretty special. Did you play Colts or were you straight into the reserves and seniors? Well, in, in 1981, I was lucky. I ended up playing Colts, reserves and league in that season. I ended up playing four games league footy during that 1981 year, my debut year. So it would have been more in the back half of the season that I reckon I played those four. Started in the Colts, progressed through the reserves and and then played a bit of footy in the forward line and the back line in that period for the four games in 81. Mel Brown would have been the senior coach. Tell us about him as a senior coach. <laughs> Malcolm Gregory Brown. Very interesting man, as a lot of people know. But, uh, you know, he was pretty hard and ruthless, Brownie, but he was a very good coach. And the thing I liked about him was he was a pretty much a straight shooter. And I think the modern sports and the person and the lead athletes of the day sometimes the truth can hurt but the truth can also you know be really real and a lot of players sometimes don't necessarily see it that way they may have an opinion so Prownie was pretty good and you know I remember growing growing up into that environment at South Fremantle and six foot four and about 88 89 kilo I was back then and as you go through 82 83 and things like that and you're starting to develop into a pretty sound center half forward got a fair degree of ability and can kick it and catch it okay so I'll try to go and get a bit of advice in regards to how do you play centre half forward you know he did win a Sandover medal playing a I think a reasonable chunk of his year that he won the Sandover at centre-half forward. So he basically said, you'll be right, just go out there and chase the ball around some, it'll be okay. But uh, he was good, mate. He was hard. But I think if you ask everybody that played under Malcolm Brown, certainly in that period of the early 80s when there was a lot of success and 
and you had Claremont and Swan Districts as the two other superior teams in the waffle at that point of time. I think he made an impact on me. There's no doubt about it when you look back now. You played State of Origin before you went to join Carlton in the VFL, Doro. What do you remember about that? Well, that was probably, you know, from an experience, Mark, I think, and, and that's one of the sad, I suppose, things that doesn't occur in the modern game of football with the State of Origin. So I think the Western Australian people, you know, the people of your, you know, my, my and your age and all the people that are a fraction older and a bit younger, they will certainly remember that initial game of State of Origin. I think it was in 1977 and I think Max Richardson and Joe Mackay and people like that played, but it was just an extraordinary game. And every now and then, you know, I don't have a lot of football history or memorabilia, if you want to call it that, Mark, sitting out in front of people's eyes if they come to my home. But I'll never forget that. And every now and then when you go and have a look, you know, I pick up the post, the picture and you can have a look at the 23 or 24 of us that played. I think it was only 22, but there was a squad of probably 30. But you look at that final photograph, 1984, we played Victoria. I think the, we both kicked... North of 20 goals, there was four points difference. You know, there was just contest after contest for two and a bit hours. And you've got Gary Ablett Senior playing half-forward flank. And we had a great side. And you look back at the picture and you think, wow, I'm 22 years of age, probably played 20, 25 games of footy. And I'm involved in this game that, you know, in many people's eyes will be one of the great state of origin games in front of 50-odd thousand people at Subiaco Oval on a Tuesday afternoon when everybody's supposed to be at work. They were fantastic times. I remember them very fondly. Doro, of course, I was on the other side of the fence to you. We'll take a break there. We'll come back to talk about uh, a little more of your time at South and then joining Carlton. This is Inspiring Sports Stories, thanks to Bauer and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. We're talking to John Toritich, the former Carlton and South Romantle star. And Doro, when you started off at South, you did start as a centre-half forward, but over time it seemed like you gravitated to defence. How did that happen? I didn't, I'm not 100% sure, Mark, I suppose it gravitated. I suppose, you know, my last year, you know, in 85, before going to Melbourne, I, you know, played that year at centre-half forward. It was interesting because early on I had a couple of injuries that set me back and after finishing that lovely butcher four-year apprenticeship and all that, I ended up getting a job with Australia Post, which was great riding a push bike around and then because I was a footballer, the boss man gave me a little motorbike to ride around on, which was even better to save the legs. But unfortunately, at one point, I think it was in 1983, I got knocked off my bike just going up Winterfold Road towards um, the college there on Stock Road, just past there. And I got hit by a car and I got smacked up a little bit. And I had a back problem and had a bit of an ache and a pain and... In the end, I missed 14 or 15 weeks with stress fractures. And Brownie at different stages played me then a half back. And I suppose the purpose of doing that 
notwithstanding that I think I was always destined that my best football, certainly at that point in time at South Fremantle, was to be played as a centre-half forward. But I think it was more about a learning curve for me to go back as a young, aspiring champion type of centre-half forward, to go back and actually play on the rest of the good centre-half forwards that provide a further level of education as to what to do and how to sort of combat the centre-half forward. So that became really important for me and created opportunities for me to become a better player there. The back line was really enjoyable. You get a chance to run straight at the footy and uh, it's something over the duration of the 17 years that I played that I had some pretty good success playing as a defender. When did Carlton come calling and how did they make the approach? Mate, it was not long after that 1984 State of Origin game at the end end of the year because I knew that I, I'd signed an agreement and back then, Mark, it was a Form 4. Yep. So for the people that don't understand what a Form 4 was, it was basically a document where you'd made a commitment to play with the Carlton Football Club if I moved to Melbourne within the 85, 86, 87 season. I was bound to then negotiate a contract to play football with Carlton, whether it's for two or three years, whatever it was, and then I'm committed. So they give you a bit of pocket money. They took me over to Melbourne. I think I watched a couple of games at the back end of 84, one or two of their finals. I was none the wiser. I think Dalton Gooding may have advised me to, you know, just be mindful, don't sign anything particular. I know the guys at South Man or Mark turned around back in the old day. Dick Woodgate, you'd remember people like that. Harold Harper were going, John, whatever you do, don't sign anything. Yep. And I'm thinking to myself, well, this is amazing. I said, here I am. If I played 20 games at South in 84, I might get you know, $4,000, and then all of a sudden you end up in Melbourne, they entertain you for three days, and you sit down with Ian Collins and he gets a checkbook out and just asks, how much do you want? And I was a bit <laughs> naive. I had no idea, but put it this way, I had enough money with the, with the check that I was able to come back, and I think a lot of the people, if they're Frio people, will remember Backshaw Ford that was on Hampton Road down there in South Fremantle, and I came home with me check, I put it into the bank, and I went down and brought a brand new Ford Fairmont with sunroof so you know I thought for a happy hill boy I thought that was a pretty good outcome the people at South Fremantle weren't so happy but I said hang on a minute I said the check was three times more than I was going to earn this year and I get to keep it whether I do or don't go to Carlton so how can you explain to me it wasn't worthwhile and I've got a brand new Ford Fairmont and for the love of Pete, Mark, I've got no idea, but I've ended up buying a bloody yellow Ford Fairmont beautiful car, so I looked like a brand new ripe banana driving around the suburb of Fremantle. You would have been very recognisable, Doro. When you arrived at Carlton, there was Peter Motley, Stephen Kernahan, Craig Bradley and John Dorotich arrived all at the same time, and the Blues were very much a glamour club in Melbourne at that time. What do you remember about those days? There was, and, and although we've all come together, it, it was great. Like, you know, you think back to the memories and make the, the people in Melbourne, Mark, you know, no disrespect to the, the football supporter here. I'm sure they like it, but I never really experienced from an AFL or VFL perspective. So 
when you turn up to Carlton, it was like royalty. And the club has a lot of supporters that support rain, hail or shine. They just love the football club. And you know what it's like. And, and you see them and they've got they've got 100 badges on their jackets and things like that with the Carlton memorabilia and clothing. And when I got there, mate, they opened the car door. They knew I pulled up in the car. Park. Oh, here comes John Doherty. So they all rush over to the car. They opened the car. They grabbed my bag. They started hugging me and welcoming welcoming me to the club and I thought, wow. And then I had the privilege of just walking down, you know, the old Robert Heatley grandstand back at Princess Park and then sitting along the as you go down that pathway, Mark, there's all the, you know, best and fairest and players that have played there and it was like, wow. There was so much history in that little period and, you know, coming along with the, the three golden guys from Adelaide, Mops, Brattles and Sticks who were just extraordinary players and, and certainly Peter Motley and Craig Bradley were the best of friends and still remain so and then sticks with just an extraordinary player that was a wonderful captain for the club for a long, long time. You settle in at centre-half back, Carlton goes all the way to the grand final and you develop a little bit of a rivalry in your early days with Dermot Brereton, the great Hawthorne centre-half forward. I remember you played them out at Waverley and beat them in a second semi and you had a victory over Dermot and then they got you in the grand final. What do you remember about that final series? Yeah, well, that year, like, we certainly played well and, and as you said, we recruited well, so the side was prepared to sort of be successful, which is part of the mandate if you're a Carlton Football Club player. So had a great year, won that second semi-final really well. And funnily enough, we probably got a bit ahead of ourselves because remember, let's not lose sight of the fact that Hawthorne had won a flag in 83 and then they got beaten in 84, 85 by Essendon. And then then I imagine they would have been hell-bent on not having a three-peat of losses. So we probably got a bit ahead of ourselves in regards to how well we were going. And then Hawthorne were very smart, Alan Jeans and all that. I think everybody will remember in that second semi-final out at Waverley in 86, David Rhys-Jones was probably clearly the best player on the ground. And playing on the wing, come grand final day, the most unexpected person decided to sidle up next to him at the bounce of the game. And it was Gary Ayres, who was such a, a powerful and reliable defender for the Hawthorne Footy Club. So so unfortunately, as he got under Reese's nose, and I think David was reported within a couple of minutes, which then set the tone for us to just realise that we weren't quite ready for this. And at the end of the day, Hawthorne were worthy winners. But, you know, make no mistake, after losing something like that, we had a pretty fierce commitment that 1987 was going to be a little bit different. And the only one that would stand in the way of us winning a premiership in 87 was the Hawthorne Footy Club. What sort of experience was it, Dora? I mean, you talked about State of Origin, how big that was, but the MCG in front of 100,000 people in September, what was it like? Yeah, well, I think the people, and it's like everything, we all watched the soccer mark the other night with the Matildas, and it sort of, you know, as players that have played on, you know, on the big stage, you're sort of really into it, and it's a bit emotional because you can feel the benefit that the girls are getting from the crowd. And, and until you get into that position to have the fortunate position of being a player that has afforded the opportunity to run onto the MCG to participate and play in a grand final. You just can't imagine it. And that first one for me, it's all well and good people telling you, yeah, it's just another game, but hey, let's wake up people. It's not another game. There's a winner and then there's somebody that's going to be a loser for a long time until they rectify the wrong. 
to run out, I think, from memory, Mark, I reckon 86, there was 102,000 people because that might have been before the Great Southern Stand started to get a bit of a renovation, but it was just an extraordinary experience. And then there's, you know, a few million people across the country and around the world watching the game. But, you know, the roar of the crowd and all that and to be the, one of the players that's putting on a show for everybody is, is something that you should never take for granted. But at the same point in time... I can say I'm one of the few in the competition over 120 years. And when you think about it, there's probably only 2,500 people or less that could lay claim to ever being a premiership player in the VFL, AFL, the way it's run. And uh, it's a pretty unique uh, company to be you know, a member of sort of thing, you know. We'll take a break there. We'll come back and we'll talk about the 87 Premiership year with John Doritich. This is Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Bauer and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bauer and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Sports Stories, thanks to Bauer and O'Day. We're talking to John Doritich, the former Carlton and South Romantle star. John, we've just spoken about the 86 grand final and the disappointment of losing that. You start off as one of the favourites in 1987. There's massive setbacks for the club during that year on a personal level, though, isn't there, with uh, Peter Motley involved in a car crash. And I was working at the Herald Weekly Times building at that time. And I remember that night very clearly when news of that filtered in and also the diagnosis of Des English with cancer. Yeah, no, that was something that came certainly during the course of the year, Mark. There's no doubt about that. But just to go back one little period and after losing the grand final in 86, there was that group pack, if you want to call it that, that, uh, as I mentioned, the only side that was going to stand in our way of a flag was Hawthorne. So Carlton put in place that every single training session that Hawthorne had during the 86-87, like pre-season and the whole season, we had a witness watching their training. So we were well aware of who's doing what and how they were going about it. But um, as you mentioned, in 87, there was a couple of, you know, real horrible things that transpired. Paul Meldrum, Peter Motley driving home in separate cars, one in front of the other. Unfortunately, a car goes over the tram tracks just on the way home to Mop. He, him and Craig Bradley lived together in in Kew. They're in an apartment or a villa there like that. And this car has just jumped over two lanes over the top of the tram tracks and it just come flying. And, and Peter was driving a, a Datsun or a Nissan 280Z or one of those ones, Mark. And then you just couldn't imagine that this car has landed in the front right-hand driver's panel, right, basically right on top of Peter. And Paul Meldrum was behind him. Like, you know, the, this all unfolded and, and then it was just carnage, you know, for, for us. And Braddles, like Craig and Peter are, are sick as thieves and, and I reckon Craig sat by Peter's bedside for about six or eight weeks in between doing the training, would sleep there and all that basically. So, you know, that was pretty tough and he survived, but he was never to play again. And then Des English, unfortunately, had been a wonderful player for the club for a number of years, was diagnosed with cancer and uh, that sort of put basically an end to his footy career but uh, those two people would become really important for us as inspiration as we went through 
that season of 1987 when we were certainly up there as one of the favourites to win the flag. But, you know, those two gave us a terrific amount of drive and inspiration to ensure that if we were to succeed, it's great for the 20 players that play, but more importantly, these two guys, 99.9% of the time would have played in that grand final had they been fit and capable. So it was a pretty big year and there was a lot, lot to gain from it. And luckily for us, at the end of the year, Mark, we got the chair and uh, it's one of one of the best days of your life other than getting married and winning a premiership back here in South Fremantle, you know, at the end. It was a bloody hot day, that grand final, Doro, about 32, 33 degrees. What do you remember about the game? It was warm, and I remember going starting up in the golf square, which was a little bit interesting for me, to, to say the least. That was sort of unexpected, but uh, the match committee and that had an idea that expect the unexpected, I suppose, in a sense. Dermot and I had played on each other pretty much five or six times in that period since I first got to the club in 86. So we're probably 50-50. He was an extraordinary player, great athlete, strong and pretty ferocious in belting you from time to time. But uh, the boys in the match committee and Robert Walsh thought, well, let's, let's do something different and we'll get David Rhys-Jones to play centre-half back. And I went up forward and did a bit of ruck work and give Justin Madden a bit of a chop-out. But the heat was the one thing, and the one thing that happened, Michael Tuck, who played over 400 games of senior footy for the Hawthorne Footy Club, Duck was the first time in his career wore a short-sleeve jumper on grand final day. And I'm thinking to myself, well, he's only human... But at the end of the day, is that a sign of weakness, Michael, because you were 33 or 34 and this might be Carlton's day and time, as time went on during the course of the afternoon, it certainly was. So a great day, you know, to have your family, your wife, no children at that point in time, Mark, but my mum and dad and really good friends and family were over and it was great that they were able to be part of the success at the Carlton Footy Club and, and I was very fortunate to be part of it. But it did come with its challenges with me, particularly during that year when I had a spate of three concussions in a row. And unfortunately, the third one in the third week was one that I couldn't dodge because I got carted off unconscious on a stretcher. So we got there in the end, which is great. Who got you that time when you got knocked out, Dory? It was more of an accident, Mark. Like I'd had three runs. You know, you know, you see people running back with the ball. I got a knee in the head from Donald McDonald that, that split me and had 13 staples in the head. You know, concussion wasn't spoken about necessarily. And, and then the following week, I got another little clip that just made me a bit fuzzy. And then unfortunately, the week after, I was on the ground with a bit of a ground ball, a bit of a pack, and... Um, Somebody jumped over the top of the contest and it was, a, I can't think of his name now, he was the CEO of Port Adelaide for a number of years that played with Fitzroy at the time, Mark. And uh, at the end of the day, he's jumped over and his knee collected me right in the temple and I just rolled over like a 97 kilo big sea lion and that was the end of it. <laughs> so they carried off. That was six weeks before, you know, the finals were about to start and, and I really struggled to get you know, myself back into gear and, uh, you know, I love him. And I mentioned early on about people telling you the truth. Well, Robert Wall sat with me 
in round 19, I think it was, against Sydney. And I, I can't really say too much. It was pretty pretty volatile, but put it this way, like my form had deteriorated and he gave me a very good um, rundown that we were going to play finals. And it was very important that you start to play well because if you fail today, you're most likely not going to participate in my side moving into the final. So it was a great inspirational chat to me. 20 minutes before a game. Ironically, I don't know how, Mark, I took that beautiful spray or threat, if you want to call it that, <laughs> and turned it into a three three Brownlow votes performance. And I'm not 100% sure how or why I was inspired to play so well <laughs> on that game. But uh, at the end of it, 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 it makes you stand tall. And I was really glad. And my mates, you know, in the side, they really and clearly understood that I'd been struggling for a while and they were certainly right amongst it when I played well on that game. And, and that's what you love about your footy teammates, mate. They they know when things aren't great and they're there to support you through thick and thin. What do you remember about the celebration of the 87 flag, Doro, in terms of what it would would have meant to the club given what had happened with Motley and English and also the fact that you'd lost to them the previous year? Yeah, no, it was a great night. And I think all the people, the Melbourneites, and I think history shows you either the winner or the losing grand final team ends up with a big function market to Southern Cross Hotel. I think you might remember Southern Cross back in the day. I do remember the old in Southern the, Cross, yes. In the, in the CBD area of Perth. And look, both of the clubs, Hawthorne, Carlton, would have booked out a hotel, to, you know, the ballroom or whatever for a big supporters uh, night and dinner, winners and losers. And obviously we were, we were on the losing side the prior year in 86. And it's not a great night. It's a celebration of the year, but a real destroying day that you participated in that wasn't what we wanted it to be. But I can tell you it was a completely different kettle of fish in 87. And one of the great memories, and I'm sure the club, you know, got photos and vision of it all, that the thing that the playing group did, they made a commitment certainly during the finals to play and, and play and honour, you know, Des English and Peter Motley are two players that had those cancer and that horrific car injury, and they would have played. There's no doubt about it. If they were fit and capable, form being well, they would have played. And the players and the coaching staff, they had the honour. Peter Peter was in a wheelchair and Des was walking, but the two of them walked into the Southern Cross Hotel with us behind them with the Premiership Cup. You know, that was a pretty powerful thing that, you know, words can't explain how you feel. So... It was a big day and, and it was challenging for them, but it was great for them to be part of it, although they couldn't play naturally in the game. Doro, we'll break it off there and we'll come back and we'll talk about the end of your time at Carlton, then back to South Romantle and then life after footy. This is Inspiring Sports Stories. Thanks to Bauer and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. is Inspiring Sports Stories with Mark Duffield on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Sports Stories thanks to Bower and O'Day and we're joined by John Dorotich, the former Carlton and South Romantle star. Doro, you stay at Carlton for a number of years after the 87 flag. They change coaches. David Parkin rejoins the club. Tell us about your later years at Carlton. You, you ended up sort of being that utility player again, didn't you? Yeah, I did. And, uh, you know, there were some good young kids coming up and it was pretty tough because Wolsey was removed in the middle of 1989 and Alex Jezelenko was temporarily in charge for about 10 weeks. And, 
and then we um, ended up with uh, what well, was oh actually Jessica was there a little bit long longer, and then David Parkin, sorry, came back in um, 1992, and ironically David Parkin was the one that came over and sort of spoke to me in the 80s after the State of Origin game. I'd love you to come to Carlton and blah blah blah, and just when you're about to come. Him and Wolsey swapped places. But it was really good to get back there because, you know, like it was nice to play under David. He was a very good coach, very articulate in what he wanted to do, had good plans and theories and structures about how the game was to play. And and I did really well in 92, you know, in his first year back. 93, I've sort of come into the end of it. There's a couple of other younger boys that they were really keen to have a look at and, you know, Whilst I was a good player and all that over there, there was, you know, your Kernahans of the world are, are still going to, he's a captain of the club, so he's not going to be, you know, moved out of the front half. And then down the back half, Silvani, you know, Michael Sexton came into the pro sort of thing. And then you've got your Ange Christus of the world. Peter Dean was still down there. So all of a sudden I was probably not a first picker there towards the end of, 93 and that's how it all you know ended up Mark and unfortunately there comes a time when when you've got to move on and and I was told and you sort of knew the writing was on the wall that it's about time we need to you know elevate and expose these kids to find out whether they can or can't play so John we're going to delist you you know and that's fine and that's the way life goes you would have loved to have played a little bit longer but it doesn't work out that way and then you get the chance to come home and finish off at a club that were really happy to get you back into the fold sort of thing where your career started. So for me, a perfect way to start a footy career and a wonderful way to finish it with South Fremantle over a four-year period from 94 till the end of 97. So was there any consideration to staying in Melbourne, Doro, or were you always going to come home once your footy was over at Carlton? A little bit of thought, Mark. I think, look, ironically, as you know, my wife's a country girl. Um, Her mother came over with her brother from time to time, you know, to see it because they, they are pretty keen to jump on a plane. Lynn's father wasn't somebody that uh, jumped on a plane and still hasn't as a 90-year-old, hasn't been on a plane. So by that time at 93, Mark, we'd actually had two children come the end of the season. So Ben's the oldest one. He's 33 this year in October and Jordan's 30. Um, and he was an October baby as well. So we thought, let's go home. You know, we'll find some work when we get there. South Fremantle were really good in helping, supporting to get us home and try and find some work and stuff like that. But uh, it was always probably the best thing to do to come home and certainly be close to your family, particularly when you've got, you know, children that, you know, Nana and Pop can certainly help look after from time to time. The 1997 Premiership with South Fremantle. Doro, you played at full forward. You were the leading goal kicker that year. I think you won a Simpson medal that year playing for Western Australia against Tasmania. Kicked about 10, is that right? Well, I think WA kicked 10, Duff. I kicked 7. You kicked 7, sorry. You kicked 7 of 10. (laughs) (laughs) It was was a good day. And and look, it was interesting. Like, you know, I'd played five State of Origin games and one, and or prior to that, five State of Origin games, and I'd, I'd fallen foul of just a couple of little minor ankle injuries when we were just about to play South Australia and people like that from time to time in what would be deemed a state game rather than a State of Origin mark. So, you know, Daryl Peniza was the coach, and he was captain coach of Claremont, I think, at that time as well. So, ironically, I played on him from time to time. But 
I was in front of the goal kicking, I reckon, about round eight or ten by 20 goals or something like that. And I was really desperate to try and get picked to play in the stateside, regardless of whether I was 35 years of age. But as far as I was concerned, my form warranted it. And why would you pick a kid that's kicking three goals a game versus the bloke that kicks six goals a game? So in the end, we got we got in there, which was great. Went to Tasmania, a young Michael Gardner in a room with me, and he had a couple of beers that night and I as an older mature person went to bed and, and then ended up jumping up and playing really well the next day on a Paul Hamilton ex-Essendon guy and yep. lucky for me I had a good day kicked seven goals and was awarded the Simpson medal as WA's best player in that state game and and then we move on to what was really a great year for South Fremantle the success of winning the flag and co-captaining you know South Fremantle with Peter Walsfold was really special and then more importantly I suppose you know back at that time the influx of players at the back end Peter Sumich David Hart Warren Campbell Dean Rioli all of those Jess Jess I can't think of what he's last Jess, <laughs> I should know it. Jess Sinclair yeah Jess Sinclair and Heath Black and you sit there and you go wow and then we had Marty Atkins and you know this one and that one so South Fremantle had a pretty good side but uh man got a bit ahead of himself we heard at three quarter time they think I think from memory they went and ordered more chairs and started decorating the cake to say premiers 1997 and somehow we we stole it in the end and won a game, and uh, that was an amazing experience for South Fremantle because their last premiership was you know a long time ago. I think it was 1981, 1980 actually. 1980 it was. Yes. Yep. So that's their first one in 17 years. So to be part of that, I didn't have a great game, but at the end of the day. It's not about having a great game because me getting tag-teamed allowed Dean Rioli and Warren Campbell to kick seven goals between them and you don't need to leave a a couple of magical Aboriginal players unattended for too long in big games and they'll hurt you and those two did that day and I saw Dean two weeks ago at a South Fremantle East Fremantle Derby and he's over in Melbourne doing really well with his family and business and uh, mate he was a champion of a player and a real champion person as well. It was a cracking game, Dora. I actually watched it. I watched the last quarter only a few weeks ago. I think it, it, it bobbed up on YouTube somewhere. It was absolutely cracking game. It, it left me wondering, was the game better then than it is now? What's your view on footy now? You talk about waffle or are you bringing waffle and AFL? Well, well, that that yeah. is a waffle product. I reckon, held up aesthetically. I'm not talking about technically or, you know, standard of play or anything like that, but aesthetically it held up as a product against what we see in the AFL now. Yeah, no, exactly. Well, the, the game's changed, and you can talk about it simplistically, Mark. Like, I think about my final year in Melbourne in 1993. There was 50 players on the list. Salary cap of $1.6 million. So if you've got a calculator, it gives you $32,000 average salary for all players. And then we're all working full-time. And now you fast-forward, what are we talking, 93, 30 years, and we've got somewhere in the vicinity of 12 dollars grand average, people not working full-time. Game has really changed. Defenders having 19 marks and 35 possessions was just unheard of, you know, in the late 70s and early 80s. And, you know, it's different. Whether it's different, good, I'm not 100% sure. It does look a bit messy and muddy from time to time when 
somebody marks the ball between half-forward flank and centre wing and I'm trying to look for Tony Lockett down in the goal square who's supposed to Stephen Silvani, but poor old plugger's surrounded by 13 opposition blokes inside the defensive 50. So how do we make it exciting other than kicking it on somebody's head and hoping somebody takes a screamer? Yeah. There's no... That, that contest that you really look forward to, the Careys versus Jakovic, you know, I played on Lockett a few times, the scariest thing in my life. But it's just not there anymore as such. Midfielders tokenly go and play on each other from time to time, but not necessarily do they really care about it. So it's different, but we've all got to live with it, Mark. You know, whether the oldies do or don't love it, it's the way it is. The game's changed and we've all got to come along for the ride. Can the Blues do something this this year, Doro? They've been in the wilderness for a fair while since the salary cap scandal. What what are your hopes for them this year? Well, they're in, you know they've done very very well you know over the last seven weeks as we've seen. So it's certainly a big turn up. This time last year we were losing games, and in the end, ultimately the final round loss to Collingwood cost us a position in the eight. Now we're not we're in it at the moment, and we're in a good position. You know, we need to probably win. You know, we've got Melbourne, Gold Coast and GWS. And I see the fixture has Carlton versus GWS at Marvel Stadium as the last game round 24. So that could very well be the game, Mark, that decides whether Carlton are in or out of the finals. I think if you look at the way they played their footy over the last seven weeks, they're as good as any the way they go about it with all facets of the game. Um and then there's some good players to come back. Chera, Jack Silvani, hopefully will be back. And then obviously Sam Walsh. Maybe they're going to be back for the game Gold Coast up in Queensland or at worst case scenario, the last game against GWS to give them a bit of a heads up. So you've got to be in it to win it, Mark. And I think Collingwood have been unravelled a little bit over there. Porter a little bit wobbly. Melbourne go OK and Brisbane haven't had success so much at MCG. So the interesting thing about playing finals, Mark, the ultimate thing is you've got to get into the contest and make that final eight. Once you're in there, it's a different kettle of fish and people can win from underneath the top four. Not the norm, but it has been done. So you never say never and there's no reason why Carlton, the way they're playing at the moment, should give themselves no chance of being successful on that last day in September. Look forward to that, Doro. I think it would be a, an amazing place to be over in Melbourne, an amazing place to be in Ligon Street if the Blues could win their first one since 1995. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Doro. I've watched you uh, since you were a teenager. You actually played a Colts game against you once the Upper Great Southern came down and played South Fremantle Colts. And to watch you grow, obviously you married uh, Lynette Garrard, a girl I went to school with in Narragin. We were good mates. And uh, uh, to see you guys grow and, and have a family together has been fantastic. Thanks for joining us on the show today. No, I appreciate it, Mark, and thanks so much for the opportunity of sharing the story, or part of the story anyway. And as you know, there's always lots more to come. <laughs> <laughs> this has been Inspiring Sports Stories, thanks to Bauer and O'Day, and we've been talking to John Dorotich. Don't miss out on the little moments, because the little things are everything.